things and, and hit the reset button, hit the reboot button, and ask some questions of ourselves and as a church of, of what it is that we are called to be doing. We talked about the Apollo 13 mission, where just two days into their mission to go to the moon, uh, there was an explosion in the oxygen tank, and they no longer had what they needed to be able to get back to Earth safely. And so they radioed in, Houston, we have a problem. And so the team on the ground and the team on the shuttle began working together to come up with creative solutions to save the crew, to be able to get back on track. As we talked through last week, we said that the the most fundamental question for us in, in rebooting ourselves as disciples is the question, who is Jesus to you? This is the most important question that you will ever answer, to say, who is Jesus to you? It's a foundational question that Jesus asked of his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, where he said, who do you say I am? We, we ask who other people say I am, but who do you say I am? And Peter responds with this incredible confession that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is what Peter believes to be true about Jesus. Is it what you believe to be true about Jesus? Who is Jesus? He takes this confession of Peter and he describes the church that he will build, the church that he will own, a church that will will offensively, not defensively, take on the darkness of the world, a church that will go into the dark places, bring the light of God there, transformation happen in the lives of people that they are around. If we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if we believe that he is the Son of God, then then we will be a church of Christ that is being used to carry out his mission and his work of transformation. That's the church that Jesus designs. Neil Cole puts it this way, if we sit back in our fortress frightened by all that seems seems to threaten us, we let countless souls remain captive to the forces of hell. We need to turn from defense to offense and storm the gates to set the captives free. This is the church according to Jesus. And so our mission as a church that we are revisiting again this month through August is is make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love others. This is a mission for each and every one of us. It's not one that's just limited to to the staff. It's not one that's limited to the leadership of the church. It's not limited to a select few. This is your mission. This is what you are called to do, to go and make disciples. And it all starts with this question, who is Jesus to you? And so we talk a lot about this idea of making disciples, and and some of it's very practical, a lot of it is just conceptual, and it's difficult for us to really grasp, what does that mean? Yes, this is my mission, but, but what do I do to go and make disciples? And so these next three weeks, we're going to talk about some some simple, specific ways in which we can all join forces together and make, join forces in our efforts in disciple making. What can we do together to help make disciples? Most of it probably won't be a surprise to you, 
But in the act of rebooting, we're looking at simple, familiar things with a new lens. The call to be disciples, making disciples, is a stretch for many of us, probably for most of us. And so creating a culture that uh, is about disciple-making is going to require that we have some, some common language, some common tools, some common methods for disciple-making. And we have limited time, we have limited resources, and so we really have to focus in our efforts on a few simple things. Simple things that will lead toward greater maturity through three primary methods. Gather, grow, and go. We're, we, we gather weekly to worship with the church. And so we're going to focus on gather this morning. And then there's grow with a spiritual family in a life group. And we spent yesterday, uh, most of the day yesterday, with our life group leaders going through training and talking about vision for life groups and what that community can look like. Life groups are these, these smaller gatherings that are typically taking place in homes. They, they include the members of this larger gathering, but it provides this important smaller gathering for life change to happen, where we can be asking the questions of one another, what does it mean to love God and love others? And so we'll spend more talking about grow next week. And then go is to, to go into the community, go and make a difference. As, as Christians, we engage in disciple-making outside of our walls, outside of just this room here. And so go moves us outside of the walls of the church to, to be in the community and in the world. And we'll talk more about Go on August 27th. So it's kind of an outline of where we're headed. Today we focus our attention in on gather. What does it mean to gather as the body of Christ, as the, the family of God? There's a story of Grace Davidson who took her four-year-old granddaughter to church for the first time. And the minister was uh, doing an opening prayer. The the, the the four-year-old sat quietly, surprisingly enough, attentive to everything that was going on, really trying to soak in what was happening. There was a curiosity to what was happening. And the minister said a prayer and said, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. And the girl leans over to her grandmother and said, Granny, we're going to get presents. We're going to get presents. And so this, this little girl is now really excited about church because coming to church means getting presents. And there's probably a lot more true to that girl's perspective of church than what we want to give credit to. That as we gather together, there is a sense of God's presence, which is a great gift to us, a great presence. Now, there are a lot of different reasons why you're here today. Uh, some of you are here with this sense of expectancy to hear from God. Some of you come because this is your family. Some of you come out of a sense of obligation. Someone really, really, really encouraged you strongly to force you to be here. Maybe you come out of obligation, maybe you come out of tradition, uh, maybe it's because you are guilty about something and you're trying to find some sort of comfort in that guilt. 
you're trying to find a place of belonging, there's a lot of different reasons why you're here today. And that's just for today. Next Sunday will be a whole nother list. And so we gather together for a variety of reasons. And there's a variety of different types of gatherings. This is one type of gathering this Sunday morning, as, as there are a couple hundred people in one room, in one space. And so I want to look a little bit at the different types of gatherings that we can experience. As we're seeking belonging, there's, there's different places that you can find that sense of belonging. Uh, Joseph Mayer, in his book, The Search to Belong, builds on the work of a social, sociologist, Edward T. Hall. And he, he looks at five different contexts that create belonging. These different contexts work in different ways to create belongings. They're all important. They all are valuable. The first and largest of the contexts is this public context. A public context is groups of hundreds. This would be a public context. A public context is made up of hundreds of people who all gather together around some sort of shared resource. Now, this resource could be going to a concert. This resource could be going to a sporting event. It could be going to a political rally. It could be gathering in a church building. There's a variety of different public contexts in which we gather. There's certain social norms of what is allowed in a public context. Uh, we, we stay at a certain distance from one another. We, we engage in certain kinds of conversation. There, there's certain things that are, are normative for that public context. And then the second is a social context. This gets into a smaller group. This is made up of 20 to 70 people. In the social context, uh, these are people who, who have a, an affinity for one another. They like one another. They, they know one another's names. There's various levels of connection there. And, and what's happening in the social context is you're identifying people who you want to get to know more, people you want to get closer to. And so it's easy to know 20 to 70 names and get to know people in that context. But it's still not going to get too personal and it's not going to get too close. And so then the next context is a personal context. This is a context of, of four to 12 people. And this is where you really start to get to know one another. And this is where you feel safe to share private information. You're forming closer relationships within this context. But it's still not the most intimate of contexts. The next one is a transparent context. This is one of, of two to four people where this is where nothing is held back. There's, there's complete openness and candor between these two to four people. And then the final context is the divine context. This is our one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. These are things that are only between me and him. This is being in the presence of our creator, of our redeemer. And so we've got these different contexts, and each, with the, each comes with different social cues. Each comes with different uh, ways of interacting with one another, things that are normal, things that are weird. There's certain things that are weird in, in, in different contexts, right? So I don't preach to my wife, right? So, so like at home, this is not how I communicate. She's disagreeing a little bit. I shouldn't be preaching to my wife. 
if we're in a transparent context, there's certain forms of communication that are weird. If, if it's just me and my wife having a conversation, for me to stand on a stage and preach at her, not going to go well. <laughs> at the same time, in a public context here, I don't go and, and sit really close to Lori Ann and confess my deepest sins so that all of you can hear. That would be weird too, right? Lorianne's like, yes, please, <laughs> please stay on the stage. Do not come sit next to me. And so there are different things in different contexts. All of these contexts are important. They all provide special, uh, special circumstances for God to disciple us. He disciples us in this public context. He disciples us in a social context. He disciples us in those more intimate relationships. And so the further down on these contexts you go, the smaller the group gets and the more intimate the connections can become. Now, it's not a guarantee that those connections will happen, but it's creating an environment for those connections to happen. And so there's opportunity for greater intimacy further down the pyramid and then further up you go. There's less intimacy. But in all of these contexts, God is speaking to us and he's discipling us. Jesus is seen in all of these contexts. He would preach to the crowds. He would, he would feed the masses. He would be in a public context. He trained and sent out the 70 in the social context. He, he taught and spent extended time with the 12 in a personal context. He, he poured additional time into the three in a transparent context. And of course, he nurtured a deep, intimate relationship with his father in a divine context. And so the bigger the context, the less closeness there is, both physical closeness and personal closeness. The smaller context, the more intimate we get. And God disciples us at each of those. Now what happens is in each one of these, there is an overflow into the next one. So what Jesus is doing in me, in my divine relationship with God, is as I am transformed in that relationship, that is going to overflow into my transparent relationships. It's going to overflow into my marriage. It's going to overflow into a handful of people that are closest to me. And as, as God continues to work on me and transform me, that will overflow into the personal context, in the groups of 12 that I'm involved in. So, so the life group that I'm in, it will overflow into that group. It, and, and what's happening in that context will, will overflow into a social context. And, and if all of that is happening, it will overflow into what is happening in this context here. And so what God is doing with you at that divine level, at that context, in that relationship, is as he is working in you and transforming you, that will overflow into our worship gathering here. And so what is happening to you between uh, this Sunday and next Sunday as God continues to work in your heart, that is going to overflow into what is happening here. And then the overflow happens the other direction. What happens in this public context should fill, fill you and fuel you and encourage you so that when you leave this place today, you feel closer and more intimate to God and so that your divine time with him over the course of the week is now fueled because of the gathering that we've experienced here. And so each one of these feed one another. 
And so today we're focusing specifically on this public context, this gathering of a couple hundred people. We see it several times in Scripture. In Jesus' ministry, there were large, gathers, large crowds that would gather around his signs and his wonders and his teachings. And then there were large crowds that would gather at his baptism to, to witness his baptism. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and, and following, there was a crowd that would gather to get a greater understanding of who Jesus was and a greater understanding of the kingdom. And Jesus fed the 5,000, and in that, in John 6, we see that his identity is revealed. Who he is is revealed through the feeding of the 5,000. He drove people out of the temple so that it could be a place of prayer in Matthew 21. And so Jesus used the public context to explain and to model discipleship. In the Old Testament, it was, frequently a, a, it was frequently in public gatherings that they used for instructions, for sharing of the law. In Joshua 3, before the people enter into the promised land, the people are gathered, and the message of God is given to them. There's public worship that is led by David and by Solomon. In the early church, in Acts chapter 2, they are, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they move out into the public context to share the gospel. And it's in that sharing of the gospel that thousands believe. And through Acts, they, they meet in homes, which is a social context, but they also met in the temple courts, which is the public space. Imagine the stories that are shared in the temple courts as they get together and talk about what's been happening in their homes and what's been happening in their neighborhoods as they talk about what God is doing. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is in Samaria and there's a large crowd that is gathered around teaching, uh, gathered around for teaching and for healing and for deliverance. And then Paul debated in the marketplace, very public context. In Revelation 5, there are thousands of angels encircling the throne of God, declaring his worthiness, the worthiness and honor of Jesus. And this worship is echoed by every creature. And so we see these different large gatherings of people. And so we gather together each week in a public context for a few different reasons. There's some things that this gathering does not do well, but this gathering does a few things really well. And the first is inspiration. As we think about inspiration, we gather here not so that you can be inspired by me and my great preaching. It's not that you can be inspired by the praise team and their great leading of worship. We come so that we are inspired by Jesus. That we, we encounter Jesus. We worship together. We gather together. And we're inspired by him. Our eyes are lifted up off of ourselves and onto him. Our, our hearts are emboldened. Our, our courage is strengthened because we see who Jesus is. We, we look at Jesus and we see once again the anchor that we have, the, the hope that we have in him. It provides the anchor for our soul. It keeps us firm. It keeps us secure as we are inspired by Jesus. 
One of the focal points of our time together every Sunday is, is a time where Jesus gathers us around the table so that we can share in the Lord's Supper together. There's a focus on Jesus. Inspiration of Jesus draws us into a mode of, op- a mode of worship. A mode of worship. Richard Foster defines worship as to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of the gathered community. That we gather together and we worship. As we're inspired by the resurrected Christ, he points us to God. He he came to glorify the Father. Jesus did not come to glorify himself. He draws us into him, and then he, he draws our gaze toward God. He glorifies the Father. And so we're reminded of God's presence. We're reminded of who he is, and we're encouraged to live more attuned to the things that God is doing in our lives every day and every hour. We gather together with a singular focus on Christ, and that brings together with us a unity of spirit, that we're all here for the same reason, regardless of our background, regardless of our family, regardless of our heritage, regardless of the situations that we find ourselves in, we are all in the same place for the same purpose. We look at Jesus. We're inspired by him. But what's interesting is the inspiration of Jesus is not limited to us. Our worship also becomes a public testimony to people who don't know him yet. That because we gather around in unity around Jesus, it sends a message to the world. And they see something different here. And there will be people who come in and out of our midst who, who are, are just dipping their toe into this faith thing, to dip their toe into this, this Jesus thing. And they see our worship and they, they see our unity around Christ. And then they're able to say, surely God is in their presence. Surely God is there. A second thing that these larger gatherings are good for is to create momentum. So we have inspiration, but then there's momentum. If you think about what momentum is, it's something moving toward a certain destination, and something should be gaining momentum. So as we gather and are inspired by Christ, we find our place in this broader people of God that God is moving us in a certain direction. It reminds us that it's not just about the couple of hundred people here. It reminds us that we are part of a world-changing movement. We We are part of millions of people gathering at this same moment with the same focus of Christ. And so we're able to see that we're part of something much bigger, that we're part of a larger story of God, and that it's not just limited to what we're doing here and now. And so we're able to share stories with one another. We're able to to talk about how God is, is transforming individuals, about what God is doing in our families, what God is doing in our life groups, what God is doing in our neighborhoods, to see that we are part of something bigger. It gives us a deeper and wider perspective on the movement of God. 
and what he is up to. We're reminded that the church is not just one day a week. The church is not limited to just this building. The church is a 24-7 movement of God. And that's what we're a part of. We're not part of an hour. We're reminded, when we read through the stories of Acts, we see that there is this incredible momentum that is happening that things are building and things are growing as the kingdom of God advances. And so if the church of Christ is on the offense, moving into dark places, moving in and, and sharing the light of Jesus, then we will see movement happen. There will be a momentum building. And so we tell the stories of our heroes of faith, heroes in scripture, heroes in church history, heroes that are living today among us. And so we gather together and we share these stories and it's an opportunity for us to see what's happening on the front lines of ministry. And so as as we move forward as a church, we're going to be finding more and more ways to be sharing stories. How do we share stories about what God is doing? And so if you have a a story that you want to share, uh, reach out to me and talk to me so that we, we can find a way to share that story to encourage others and see what God is doing. A third thing that works well in this context that doesn't work well in other contexts is preaching. Like I said, I don't preach to Laura, or I shouldn't be. But preaching is this proclamation of the gospel, this proclamation of, of who Jesus is. And so we gather together to spend time listening to God and listening to his message to us by engaging in the biblical text. That that we look at scripture to see who we are and what we're to become and we listen to answer the question, God, what are you saying to me? And so hopefully through this this time, we're able to listen to what God is communicating to us, that we are encouraged, that we are equipped through that process, and then we go the next step of obedience and answer the question, what am I going to do about it? That as we listen to what God is saying to us, we walk out in obedience. We take action. We respond We do what he's calling us to do. And so this idea of inspiration, of momentum, of preaching in our gatherings together, it it should propel us, all of those things come together to propel us into greater obedience. That as we leave this place, we are encouraged, we are equipped for the mission of God. That we, we go out ready and armed for something. And so we take the mission of God with us into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our workplaces, into our places of recreation. We take those there. And so when we gather here together, when we come together every week, it is not an escape from the world. It is not an escape. This is an opportunity for us to hear the call of God on our own lives to hear the call of God to go. And so we leave this place ready to go, ready to join Isaiah in his statement of, here am I, send me. 
this is the life that we're called into. And so the resources of the church that are focused on fueling and equipping us to go. Not so that we can come and consume. It provides us a space to meet Jesus, even in the midst of a crowd. But in the meeting of Jesus, we are given this call to go. Our relationship with God is not limited to this gathering. This is not the only place and time to worship. It's not the only place and time to experience the presence of God. This is one place for those things to happen. It has its limitations. It won't provide everything that we need to experience transformation and growth. For that, you will have to go into these other contexts, these smaller contexts. And that's what we're going to talk about next week as we talk about the smaller contexts for us to encounter God. But before we wrap up, I want to I challenge you to, to three different things, some, some practical steps that you can take to be more fully engaged in our gathering times. And so the first one is obvious, but not so obvious. Commit to being here. You got to show up for the gathering to happen. And so I want to challenge you to commit to being here. Now, unfortunately, there is this statistic running around churches right now that says uh, fully committed members of churches only attend 50% of the time or less. That, that you can be considered a fully committed member of a church and only be here half of the time. I think that's a fairly alarming statistic, but one that is surprisingly true and one that we see played out over and over. Now, this isn't just this church. This is across all churches. And there are a variety of factors that contribute to why people are inconsistent in their attendance at worship. Some of those are very legitimate spiritual reasons. Uh, some of them are not. Uh, Brent McCall, a couple weeks ago, talked about the idolatry that is in our lives. Uh, the fellowship uh, room class right now is talking about modern-day idols. There are things that we place in our lives above our relationships with God. And so we choose those things over our relationship with God. Now, to say that... Um, I'm just going to read this. Idolatry is a heart issue. So to simply say, if you aren't at church every week, you are an idolater, is to oversimplify the idea. It's to turn it into a form of legalism. Many of us grew up in a legalistic system that said, if you were not at church three times a week on Sunday morning and Wednesday, Sunday night and Wednesday nights, then watch out because you're probably not going to heaven. I mean, that, that, that was the environment that we grew up It was this legalistic, you go to church because you must. And so we're, we're, we're not talking about that. We, we don't come to church because we must. But being here is important. Being a part of what is happening on a weekly basis, not just popping in and out, is an important thing. And so everyone has their reasons for not being here every Sunday. Some of those are very legitimate. Others are idolatry. 
And so that's going to be a heart issue that you have to work out with God. But when you're not here, it impacts the body. It impacts the rest of us. If our worship gatherings are the overflow of what's happening in each and every one of us as individuals, and you are not here and you're not present, then the rest of us do not get to experience that overflow. Think of it as, as a body. Paul talks about us being the body of Christ. Now, for, for us, we know very real what happens if a leg decides not to show up. When a leg doesn't show up, it makes life difficult. And many of you have experienced things where a body part didn't show up the way it was supposed to. Maybe it's a heart that's not beating at the right rate. Maybe it's a medical condition where, where your immunity is not working the way it should be. There's, there's a part of your body that is not showing up when it's supposed to be. And the body hurts because of that. The body is not all that it can be because part of it is not showing up. The body needs all of its parts. Isaac Pennington puts it a different way. He says that when people are gathered for genuine worship, they are like a heap of fresh burning coal, warming one another as a great strength and freshness and vigor of life flows into it all. When you're not here, it gets a little cold in here. It's not as warm as it could be. Because it's not all together. So I want to encourage you to be here. Worship is a spiritual discipline. And sometimes it requires us to show up even when we don't feel like it. Show up even when it may not be convenient. Show up when other things may have to be sacrificed. A second thing that we can do is to come, come prepared. That if, if our worship gathering together is an overflow of what's happening in our own lives, then there's work that we need to be doing throughout the week to prepare for being here. That we need to be spending time engaged in that divine context, engaged in our relationship with God. We have to be engaged in that before we can show up here and fully engage in what's happening in the public gathering. And so you come prepared by, by nurturing your relationship with God throughout the week, by in, engaging in other practices throughout the week that will give you a sense of expectancy when you show up here. Because when you've been talking to God all week long and you've been listening to his voice and you've been following his commands and being obedient to what he's been doing all week long, you come into this place ready for something, ready for an encounter, ready to hear from him. Richard Foster again says, when people come with holy expectancy, it changes the atmosphere of a room. You'll feel it. It will be different in this room. Hearts and minds are moved upward. The air becomes charged. The air becomes charged. This room will feel different if people are coming into it prepared for worship, prepared for an encounter. And third, invite others to join us. 
Our gatherings are not private events. It's a public context, not a private context. And so we invite others to to experience what God is doing in this place. We invite others to to explore with us what it means to put Jesus at the center of everything. We we invite others to, to dip their toe into the faith waters, to come and see what is happening. And as they witness God's work among us, they will see God and experience God and respond to him. And so, could you invite somebody into that environment? Could you invite somebody to encounter God? Somebody who needs to be inspired by Jesus. And so we've got a couple different tools that we're going to provide for you. They're on the back tables Uh, different invites that you can use. One is this larger postcard that we've had for some time that invites people to join us for our gatherings on Sunday. And then we have some new invite cards that are just small pocket size that you can use to have a map and times on the back and then a little place where you can write a personal note on the inside where you can be inviting people to experience God in our gatherings. And so pick those up on your way out. But as we conclude, I want us to answer the two questions once again. What is God saying to you? What what is he saying to you? What is he convicting you of? What is he speaking to you about? Are there things that you need to adjust? Are there things that you need to respond to? And then this other question is, what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What, what is God speaking to you about? And how do you need to respond? So let's be standing together. This is an opportunity for us to respond in a variety of different ways. You can respond by, by silently praying to God. It's a time that you can respond in song as we worship together. It's, it's a time that you can respond by, by getting together with your life group or getting together with family or, or those that are close, and, and you can create some of those smaller, intimate uh, contexts within this context where you can speak more candidly with people that you're close to. So I want to encourage you to respond this morning as you listen to what God is calling you to. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this place. We thank you for the opportunities to gather. And God, I pray that you will continue to disciple us, that you will continue to to transform us through these times together every week. That we will be open to your message, that we will be open to your call. And so God, we ask that you will, will move through us now that you will speak to us, that you will convict us, that you will challenge us, that you will encourage us, that you will comfort us as we respond to your voice now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.